Well, ladies, welcome, welcome to Women's Bible Study. Welcome if you're with us in person. Welcome to all those joining us online and via satellite groups. If I haven't yet met you, my name is Jill. I am one of the women's pastors here, and it is great to be with you all. I have a couple of announcements for us, and then I have the privilege and honor of getting to introduce our guest speaker for tonight. But a few quick announcements. Um, a reminder that we do an optional offering here at Women's Bible Study, and so if you give to that offering, all that money goes back into the cost of Women's Bible Study like childcare, video, tech, the books, that sort of thing. So your table leader will have an offering envelope on your table if you decide to give to that. We want to remind you that we have our beautiful Women at CA hats for sale, which I see over there, which you're so beautifully modeling. So if you haven't gotten one, they're 20 bucks, four different colors, limited quantities, buyers, wear it to Women's Bible Study. A couple other things. We want to let you know that our women's ministry has some upcoming kingdom events. You can get more information about all of these on our website. But in the month of October, we do have a dinner coming up at Door of Hope. And then we have a workshop happening at Hope Gardens. So if you're interested in volunteering or serving with those uh, areas, visit our website and you can sign up and get more info there. Our kingdom department at Christian Assembly is also hosting an upcoming Compelled Kingdom Conference. It's a free conference. Lunch is provided. And... Compelled is an opportunity to get more equipped on how to live out your kingdom calling in this world. So join us for that. We've got a lot of exciting things coming up. And then finally, I want to let you know we are launching some family prayer appointments. These are happening in the month of October. They're happening, I believe, on Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays. And so this is an opportunity for families uh, you, your kids, if you're married, you and your spouse, but for families to be prayed for together by trusted teams of people at Christian Assembly. So if you want more info on that, we have these family prayer appointment cards that you can grab on your way out. They are on the table in the lobby, or you can visit our website to sign up for one of those appointments. So those are all of our announcements. And last thing as well, before I introduce our guest speaker, is uh, one of the things we do here at Women's Bible Study is after the worship and the teaching for tonight, we break into small groups and you're with a small group at a table for about an hour doing discussion and prayer together. So uh, if you don't yet have a group, you can come find me afterwards and come down front. But we want to let you know if you have a group and for some reason you don't feel like your group is a good fit, uh, it feels too big for you. It feels too small for you. It's whatever it is. Please don't feel bad about that. We know that that happens sometimes. And so if you feel like you're at a table that doesn't feel like the best fit for you, please just come see me or Tanya afterwards tonight. And we would love to help you find another table. And all of our table leaders will be completely understanding of that. So don't feel bad about that. With that, those are my announcements for tonight, but the best announcement is that I get to invite up our guest speaker and a dear friend of mine, Allison Hughes. You can come up, Allison. <laughs> Allison's going to be sharing with us tonight, and so I just want to give you a quick introduction for her and let you know how excited we are to have her here, and then we want to pray for her as well. But many of you will know Allison. Some of you might not. Allison's been at Christian Assembly for over 20 years. She's been leading a Bible study table for close to 20 years. Allison's a phenomenal wife, a phenomenal mom. She's got three kids, a dog, another dog on the way. Can I say that? Another dog on the way, Miss Sunday. This Sunday? Mm -hmm. This Sunday. She's really excited about it. Um, 
And she's a school teacher at Village Christian, but more than all of that, Allison, if you know her, you know this to be true, Allison has a deep, deep faith in the Lord, a deep commitment to Jesus. Allison's one of the people that you can trust. She prays, she reads God's word, she tries to seek God, and not just seek God, but also live out her, um, live out her faith missionally and share the gospel with people and help people know Jesus. So, so many of you probably have stories of being mentored by Allison being prayed for by Allison. So many of you are like, man, I wish I could be mentored by Allison. But I can say, because Allison's a dear friend of mine and a dear, um, feels like family to me, but truly, you guys are going to be so blessed. We're all going to be blessed to get to hear from her. And so, Allison, we love you. We're honored to get to hear from you and excited for whatever God wants to do through you and this week. So with that, I'm going to pray for you. Okay. Father God, thank you so much for Allison. Lord God, thank you for calling her to this, assigning her to this week, this teaching in the book of Esther, this season in women's Bible study. God, thank you for all the ways that you've been faithful in her own life. Thank you for the ways you've blessed her and grown her. Thank you for her humility and her kindness. Thank you, Lord, for the many people she has shared the gospel with and been a part of leading to Christ. Thank you, God, just for her faithfulness to our women at CA and to this church called Christian Assembly, Lord. And thank you for saving her. Thanks for choosing her. Thanks for your grace at work in her life. And thank you, God, for the ways I trust and believe that you want to speak through her tonight and encourage us. So God, encourage her, give her your peace and your joy as she gets to speak to us tonight. And God, would you encourage each woman here? We pray this in your great name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, thank Allison. Thank you. thank you, Lord. Um, well, it's my joy and honor to be here and share with you tonight. I love you ladies. As Jill mentioned, I've been part of Bible study since my oldest was a baby, so that's almost 20 years. And it's a gift to share with you and hopefully with God's help encourage you from the book of Esther this evening. When I was a little girl, there was a chapter series called Choose Your Own Adventure. Some of you might remember it. And although it wasn't one of my favorites, my husband Tom loved it. And so a few years ago, I read it with Micah, my youngest son. And the way these books work, you read a chapter where you face an abominable snowman or a ninja, and you get lost in the Amazon, and at the end of the chapter, you're faced with a choice. Do you go ahead with the expedition to find the Yeti, or let the Yeti calm down and go searching for tigers instead? And depending on your choice, you flip to the appropriate page, and you see the outcome, read some more, and then make another choice. You keep going like this until you reach the final conclusion of the adventure. And there are over 28 different endings, so it is an adventure. But as we've seen in the last few weeks, in chapters one and two in the book of Esther, Esther's life is not a choose-your-own-adventure. In fact, she's had very little choice in her life's adventure. She didn't choose to be in Persia, the nation that had conquered Babylon, and in fact, her people had been taken captive and exiled from their home. She didn't choose to have her father and her mother die. She didn't choose to be part of a beauty contest, a Persian-style season of The Bachelor, for a king who rejected his former queen when she wouldn't parade herself as the entertainment for his seven-day party. She didn't choose to be picked by the king to be the new queen of Persia. Esther is a teenage orphan exiled to a foreign land, brought into King Xerxes' harem, picked to be queen, 
and none of it's by her own choosing. Tonight, we will see that Esther goes from having very little choice at all to having to make a choice that could save an entire nation of people. And we will see that like Esther, when we find ourselves in circumstances that are not of our own choosing, of our, our own choosing, there are still choices that we can make, powerful choices. When it seems like evil is winning the day, there is still one behind the scenes working mightily, even when we don't see him at work. We will consider all of that and more, but before we do, let's pray. <laughs> Father, I thank you so much for each woman in this room. And for such a time as this, you have called us here to draw near to you. And your word says, Lord, that when we draw near to you, you promise to draw near to us. So we say, come Holy Spirit, draw near to us, speak to us through your word. We need you, God, just as we sang. Come speak to our hearts tonight, we pray. Amen. Corey Ten Boom was a follower of Jesus living in Holland during World War II. Nazi Germany invaded the Netherlands when Corey was 48 years old. Two years later, a Jewish woman came to the Ten Boom's home where Corey lived with her father, Casper, and her sister, Betsy. The woman's husband had been arrested and her son had gone into hiding. She heard that the Ten Booms had helped a neighbor and she asked if they would help her too. So Corey and her family had a choice to make. Like Esther, their family was in a sort of exile due to the occupation of their home by foreigners with evil intentions, especially for the Jewish people. Although Corey and her family were not Jewish themselves, they had to choose. Would they act on behalf of their belief that God has made all people in his image and they matter immensely to him? We will return to Corey's story, but first let's talk about Esther's. As we saw last week, chapter two ends with Mordecai revealing a plot to assassinate the king. But he's never rewarded for it, at least not yet. But just because justice hasn't come yet doesn't mean it won't come at all. Chapter three begins with another plot and an evil villain. The king makes an official name, Haman, his second-hand man. Haman receives a seat of honor higher than all the other officials, so much so that everybody is supposed to bow down to him. But for some reason, Mordecai won't. Scripture doesn't tell us why he won't. But maybe it's because he didn't want to honor a man he knew to be evil. Or maybe it's because he was a descendant of the enemies of God's people. My guess is that some part of Mordecai knew. Haman meant danger. And that his people, who were already in exile, couldn't trust a man like Haman. When word of this reaches Haman, things get ugly. Let's read in chapter three, beginning in verse five. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all of his people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. In the 12th year of King Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, the pure, as it's called the lot, was cast in the presence of Haman, to select a day and a month. And the lot fell on the 12th month, the, the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, there's a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all the other people and they do not obey the king's laws. 
Is it not in the king's best interest to tolerate them? If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. So the king took his signet ring from his finger, and he gave it to Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said to Haman. Do with the people as you please. For Esther's people, things have gone from bad to the very worst. A decree is written and sent out to everybody in the Persian Empire. The circumstances here look hopeless. Evil seems to be winning. The lot has been cast. Esther's people, young and old, have just received a death sentence. Esther didn't choose this. Her people didn't choose this. Do you ever find your place, yourself in a place you didn't choose to be? Or facing a struggle or challenge that you didn't choose to have? You never wanted this to be part of your story, but somehow it is. Maybe you're in that place right now. Or maybe you have a loved one that's in that place right now. I'd like to offer three truths we can hold on to, choices we can make when we find ourselves in circumstances we would never have chosen. And the first is this. No matter our circumstances, we can choose to believe that God is at work, and not just at work, but at work for our good. It seems like God is absent from the story of Esther. The evil plot of Haman is articulated clearly, but where is God? He's not mentioned once. But if we pull back the curtain of this story and look behind the scenes, we see that God is all over this story. He's at work when he elevates Esther to the position of queen. She's a powerless, exiled teenager chosen by the king for a prominent position. God is at work making Mordecai a hero who uncovered a plot to assassinate the king, which, spoiler alert, will later lead to everything turning out on behalf of God's people. God is at work. Jesus said in John 5, 17, my father is still working all the time and I am working also. He also said in John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, at all times, God is at work, and not just working, but working for our good. If you have faith, placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you are following him and have surrendered your life to him, no matter the circumstances, no matter how much he seems absent, draw back the curtain of your life. Know and believe that he's at work and not just at work, but at work for your good. We will have trouble, but our stories aren't over yet, and neither is Esther's. Some of you may know part of my story. My biological dad left my mom, my sister, and me when I was one years old. I only had two pictures of him holding me to cling to as I grew up. Whenever we talked about him, actually, we never talked about him, and so it left me to fill in the blanks myself. And here's how I filled them in. I wasn't worth it. Something about me was not enough to keep my dad around. I wasn't good enough. And the seeds of self-rejection were planted for me at a very young age. I started praying for a new dad around the age of five. There was no hope my real dad would ever return, so I prayed for God to give me a new one. And he did. 
really the best one you could imagine. On their first date, he fixed my bike. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. <laughs> This was a good guy. They got married when I was seven, and I suddenly, like Esther, had an adoptive father who made a profound difference in my life, along with three brothers, five kids in all. God was at work behind the scenes of my life. Still, I found myself at the age of 18 in a place I did not want to be. The seeds of self-rejection have been planted deep inside of me, and although I did know the love of Jesus, the self-rejection in my life seemed to be winning the day. I had an eating disorder that had pretty much taken over my life, and I was in a deep depression. I was hospitalized in February of my senior year of high school. Where was my future? Where was God? Talk about being in a place you didn't want to be. The lot seemed to be cast. My life seemed to be over before it ever began. This was a locked facility. I had never experienced anything like this, and I was overcome with fear. Somewhere along the way, the things I didn't choose, along with the things I did choose, led me to a dark place. John 1.5 says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. If I pull back the curtain on those memories of that very dark time, the light of Christ was at work behind the scenes. Jesus was in the peace I felt through his presence that seemed to fill up the room at night when I couldn't sleep. I would stare at the blinds, and his peace came through the blind slats. And to this day, I am grateful for those blinds. Though this wasn't a Christian facility, Two of my counselors were committed Christ followers who offered me hope that my life wasn't over. God was at work for my healing. I had a hope in a future. God placed those men there for me for such a time as this. And God was at work through breaking the addiction to my eating disorder and my depression. And after three weeks, I was delivered. Something that seemed to hold me with a clad iron grip no longer helped me. And I haven't struggled with it since. In the darkest place that I've ever been, God was at work for my good. When life makes no sense and you find yourself in a dark place, sometimes the bravest thing you can do is keep believing God is still there and is still at work for good in your life. Just showing up can be a very brave thing. Maybe you made a choice like that tonight. Maybe showing up was your act of faith that God is still at work in your life or still at work in the life of someone that you love. Ladies, God's promise is this. He is at work behind the scenes more powerfully than the circumstances for evil in our lives, and he's at work for good. Esther had to believe this. Mordecai had to believe this. I had to believe this. Where do you have to believe this in your life? Where do you have to believe this on behalf of someone that you love? And so we pick up in chapter four, where Mordecai finds out about Haman's evil plan. Starting in verse one, when Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. 
This leads me to the second choice that we can make when we find ourselves in a place we don't want to be. No matter our circumstances, we can choose to cry out to God in prayer, and we can choose to believe that our prayers matter to God. Mordecai has no concern for his appearance or reputation at this moment. This is a cry out to God moment. He tears his clothes, puts on sackcloth and ashes, and goes into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. Sackcloth was made of black goat's hair. It was thick, rough, and coarse. The wearing of sackcloth and ashes was an outward sign of mourning, repentance, humiliation, absolute grief, desolation, and ruin. Mordecai was pouring out his soul before the Lord, and we can too. I learned how to pray in a different way as I lay my head down all by myself in that hospital room. I was at the end of myself. There was no one there but God and me. And this was my prayer. God, help me. That's it. It was a cry of my heart when I was at the end of my rope. But it was also an act of faith. By God's grace, I leaned into him in those dark hours instead of leaning away. I was poured out before him, humiliated and desolate. If there had been sackcloth and ashes, I would have worn them. Because I felt like my life was over. But my prayers, as simple as they were, mattered. And yours do too. Remember that prayer is not a last resort. It's a first resort. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. Psalm 56, 8 says, you keep track of all of my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in a bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Pastor and preacher Charles Spurgeon once wrote, the tender heart of Jesus awaits to hear our griefs. Let's pour them out in his patient ear. When we pray, we get to take part in the good that God is already doing in our lives, even if we can't see it yet. Yes, we have trouble and heartache and persecution in this world, but Jesus has overcome. We live as those who have hope because our prayers matter and the mighty God is still at work no matter what. Remember where we left off with the story of Corey Ten Boom? On the day when the Jewish woman came to their home for help, her father Casper said yes, declaring in this household, God's people are always welcome. This began the story of the hiding place. Corey and her family became part of the Dutch underground, hiding Jewish people in their home and helping smuggle them to places of safety. In 1944, an informant told the Nazis about the Ten Boom family's work, and the entire family was arrested. Corey and her sister Betsy were sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp, where they held worship services with a Bible they had smuggled in. In the darkest hours, the light of Christ shone as the sisters cried out to God and brought others to faith in Jesus Christ. Before she died, Corey's sister Betsy implored Corey, we have to tell them there's no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. When you find yourself in a deep pit, remember, God's love is deeper still. Remember, he's not done. Remember, your story isn't over. 
Remember, he's still at work. Cry out to him. Or maybe it isn't you who find yourself in that pit. Cry out to him on behalf of that person you love. Their story is not over, nor is yours. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, not even our deepest pit. Which brings me to the final part of our story for tonight. Esther sends one of her attendants to find out the reason for Mordecai's strange behavior, because she doesn't yet know about Haman's plan. Mordecai tells Esther's attendant all about it, including the exact amount of money promised to pay for the destruction of the Jewish people. He says that Esther needs to go to the king to beg for the lives of the people. And in chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Don't think because you're in the king's house you alone of the Jews will escape. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do, and when it's done, I'll go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Mordecai, Esther, and the Jewish people are in a deep pit. They have received a death sentence, but Mordecai still believes in the goodness of God. He still knows God's at work for the good of his people, even in the midst of his grief and crying out to God, he declares what he knows to be true. Relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise. God's goodness will be seen. And perhaps Esther has been chosen for such a time as this, for the deliverance that God is planning to bring about. Against all hope, Mordecai hoped and believed in God's goodness. And now he invites Esther to be a part of it, which brings me to my final point. No matter our circumstances, we can choose to be part of God's plan for good. God did a miraculous work of healing in my life over those three weeks in the hospital, but he wasn't done with me yet. I went to college, married Tom in my early 20s, and we moved to Pasadena in January of 2002 for Tom to attend seminary. Fast forward a few years, Tom was on staff at CA. Our son Caleb was two and a half years old. Although I thought my healing was done, God was still at work. We were living in a little greenhouse up on College View, and I was rocking my daughter, Sophia, who was about two months old. There had been a rainstorm, and water had leaked into our home and onto my photo album from my childhood. Those two pictures of me with my biological father were destroyed. They were just a runny blur. And as I rocked Sophie, I found myself crying tears that I didn't even know I still had mourning for a relationship that never even existed. I looked at my daughter and all those questions resurfaced. How could he leave his baby daughter? How could he leave my sister? Did he ever, did he ever even care about me? 
At this point, God invited me to be part of my own healing. I talked to a dear friend, Kathy Christopher, who helped me to navigate these unexpected emotions. I thought I had been totally healed, but just when we think we're free, God has more freedom. And just when we think we're healed, God has more healing. So I wrote a letter to my biological dad for the first time in my entire life, not even knowing what his response would be or even if he would respond to me. I was 34 years old, and I had had no contact with him ever. It was a really scary thing to do, but I felt God's invitation, and so I did it. A few weeks later, a response arrived. It filled in the blanks for me, blanks that if you remember, I filled in with lies. For the first time, I got to hear the truth, and the truth began to set me free. He wrote, I always thought you were an enchanted child. You were so beautiful. Man, I longed to hear that. Words I longed to hear my entire life for 34 years, and by God's kindness, I got to hear them. And even more, it was healing to my biological dad. I'd been so focused on me, I never thought about how it had affected him. He wrote, every morning when I walk the dogs, I pray for you and your family, that God's love will shine on you. God had healing and redemption for us both. Oftentimes, God invites us to take small steps to be part of our own healing or the healing of others. I had no idea that God would bring healing, not just to me, but to my biological dad. When God invites us to take small steps for our own good and the good of others, we get to be brave. We get to have faith like Esther's, even in the smallest of steps, even when we don't know what will happen next. That's faith. It's the substance of things unseen. As C.S. Lewis says, faith is the art of holding on to the things your reason once accepted in spite of your changing moods or changing circumstances. It's what Betsy and Corey did when they found themselves in a flea-infested concentration camp. And they believed the fleas themselves were a gift from God because they kept the guards away, allowing the sisters to hold worship services. It's what Esther did when she said, go fast for me, I'll go to the king. If I die, I die. Esther went from hiding her identity as a young Jewish woman to coming out of hiding in faith against all hope and making a choice to believe that for such a time as this, God called her to action, action that took great faith. Acts 17, 26 and 27 says, from one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God had Esther where she was on purpose for a purpose, and it's true for us too. We get to be part of God's work for good in our own lives and the lives of others. We can be brave. In what way, big or small, might God be asking you to be brave today for yourself or for someone else? How is he inviting you to be part of his plan for good? The lot might seem cast in one direction, but God determines our steps. What step is he inviting you to take? Is it leaning into him and believing in his goodness, even when your circumstances are shouting out a different message? Is it crying out to God in prayer, inviting friends to pray with you, and seeking him in a time of confusion, challenge, or loss? 
Is it encouraging a friend like Mordecai did, that God is a deliverer and their story isn't over yet? Is it reaching out to a neighbor for Gal Pal Week, sharing the hope of the gospel with a family member, or inviting a coworker to church to experience God's hope and goodness in their life? I'm still in touch with Bernie, my biological dad, to this day. He's a lovely person with a warm and good heart, and he even loves Jesus at this point in his life. My adoptive father, Lee, an answer to the prayers of a young girl, has made an immeasurable impact of redemption and healing in my life. How can God be this good? Corey Ten Boom lived to the age of 91, speaking in over 60 countries about the hope of Jesus, authoring a series of 28 books and forgiving the very guards who had treated her sister Betsy so terribly. All in all, it's estimated around 800 Jewish people were saved by her efforts. What an amazing end to her story. Ladies, our stories aren't over yet. The stories of those you love are not over yet. Wherever you find yourself today, no matter what your circumstances might look like, God's not done with you yet. Can you believe in his goodness or begin to believe again? Pray for his help. Do what he's asking of you, big or small, for such a time as this. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to our hearts in this moment. Highlight what it is that you want us to hear from you. Lord, I pray for every woman in this room who needs to believe that you're still good. I think of the prayer that says, Lord, I believe, but would you help me with my unbelief? We pray that tonight, Lord. We believe you're good. Help us with our unbelief. I pray for those who need strength to lean into you and cry out to you in prayer. I pray you'd surround them with sisters in Christ who will hold up their arms, lift up their concerns, cast their cares upon you, bear their burdens. Pray we would see your goodness at work in each life represented in this room. The lives of all the loved ones represented in this room. We lift them all up to you right now, God. I pray for those who need courage to do what God is asking of them for such a time as this. Would you speak to our hearts? Lord, you give us both the desire and the power to do what pleases you. Would you do that for us tonight? We need the desire to do it. We need the power to do it. Come Holy Spirit. And I pray also for anyone who may want to receive Jesus for the very first time. Lord, I pray that hearts would be open to you, Jesus. You were under a death sentence due to, we were under a death sentence due to our sin and separation from you, God. The lot was cast against us because of our sin. And yet, Jesus, you chose to die in our place, to have lots cast for your clothing as you hung on the cross. And then you rose again. Would you help us, each one, to put our trust in you? And anyone who's never put their trust in you as their Savior, their Lord, the hope of their lives, I pray that tonight they would just pray, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I put my trust in you. I don't even fully know what that means 100%, but I believe you died on a cross for my sins. I believe you love me. 
I believe you love this whole world and you came to save us. And I put my trust in you tonight. Take hold of the reins of my life. I give myself to you. And Lord, we lift up all these prayers to you because you are a good God and you are at work for good in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.